This is Local Switchboard NYC, a women-led audio collective. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jordan Gosporé. We're here to bring you news on a human scale. News that reminds us that big stories often start small. News that keeps us connected. Before Kamala Harris, before Hillary Clinton, and even before Nancy Pelosi, there was Bella Abzug. Kamala Harris's victory speech as the country's first woman vice president-elect commemorated women's political achievements. As we move forward into the future, we remember one of the women who blazed the trail for Harris, Bella Abzug. Bella was known for her big hats and even bigger personality. Bella was many things, loud, fierce, funny. She was the first woman elected to Congress on a pro-feminist platform and the first woman to run for the U.S. Senate from New York. Her daughter, Liz Abzug, spoke to me about running her mom's political campaigns, being the first open lesbian to run for a New York City council seat in 1991, and the ways she's continuing her mom's legacy. Liz, I'm really excited to talk to you. And as someone who grew up in Texas, I'm just going to tell you, unfortunately, I had not heard of your mom until last year. Yep. And uh, I'm hoping that'll change. <laughs> you know, don't feel badly, although, uh, you know, there are people in New York who might not have heard of her, although she was really well known and is uh, around this country in, you know, the 70s and the 80s, first when she was in Congress, but then many years after that, doing a lot of speaking nationally and then internationally with the international feminist movement, having launched a lot of that. A woman's movement is a movement of all women. And fundamental to the movement of women is the participation of all of us as we come out of our neighborhoods, as we come out of our backgrounds, to come together, to exchange our ideas and to discuss our problems. One of the things I've been fascinated with is children of politicians and what it's like to grow up with a parent that is running for office. And so I'm curious for you, to describe a little bit about what that experience had been like for you. How old were you when your mom started getting involved? And in, I mean, it seemed like she had been in, you know, was involved from an early age in leadership. So, yeah. Jordan, I've been interviewed, uh, you can imagine, uh, yes. many, many times about <laughs> yes. this, about this very topic. In fact, my mother won her primary to Congress, her first primary, on the day before I my graduation from high school. So. It was pretty bizarre because, truthfully, she gained pretty instantaneous attention because of her presence and her ability to speak the way she did and also that she was commanding with the hat. I'm sort of known as a person who knows how to be heard. You know, had a very commanding presence. So already by that time, even before she got sworn in, she was being followed by the media very heavily. And so at my high school graduation, I went to music and art high school and our graduation was at Carnegie Hall. Now it's called LaGuardia High School. The whole Times contingent of photographer, the New York Magazine of the Times section came and they covered her. You know, it was a big to do. They were covering her at my actual high school graduation. And they kicked out a few people from the front rows so that the photographer could shoot it and, you know, they could you know, do what they had to do. And it was very, at that time, I knew my life would never quite be the same. 
how did your mom sort of incorporate you into the campaign? Was there anything like my aunt, for instance, my aunt was running for judge in Texas. And of course, she got everyone involved to like make the button and make the shirts. No, I was heavily involved in every one of my mother's campaigns. In fact, I was her scheduler when she ran for mayor. I was in law school when she ran for mayor. It was 1977. And I worked there every day. It was the summer, you know, the campaign heavily. And I worked there, you know, 12 hours a day scheduling her. It was a fascinating experience, too. And But all the campaigns, both my sister and myself and my father, all of us were very heavily involved. I was probably the most involved on a day-to-day level, though, you know? Why were you most involved? Because I think that my sister is different in her interests. I mean... She certainly understands politics. You know, that was in her main uh, interest. I'm more like my mother. My sister is a social worker, a therapist actually now, and a, and a sculptor. And she just didn't relate to it as much as I did, I think, because me and my mother are more similar in that way. And my father, of course, was incredibly supportive of my mother. You know, it was very intense, Jordan. I mean, my mother worked seven days a week. In those days, in the 70s, she always worked a lot, even as a young lawyer coming out of law school, right? But once she started running for office, she was 50 years old when she first ran. And she was elected on her first try. She beat a 24-year incumbent congressperson, and she beat him and won her seat in 1970. But having said that, she worked like a dog. I mean, seven days a week, 15 hours, 16-hour days. Not only did she do that for her first race, but she did that for every campaign and every race for office she ever had. And my mother ran in seven years, right? She ran for five different offices. What I mean is she ran for re-election. She was in Congress for six years from 1970 to 1976. And then she resigned a very, very safe seat that she would have had for the rest of her life in the House to run for the United States Senate in 1976. That was in New York State. She was the first woman ever to run for the United States Senate in New York, way before Hillary, right? There is not even one woman among the 100 U.S. senators. People of both sexes and all parties can and do feel the injustice of that. Now they can change it. She lost that race by quarter percentage point, 20,000 votes statewide to Senator, you know, the guy who became Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan. But the very next year, in 1977, she ran for mayor and she was the first woman to run for mayor in New York City. You're talking about three races for re-election to the Congress, you know, 1970, 72, 74, 76, then a Senate race in 76, 77, a mayor race. And then she tried again to go back to Congress two other times after that. So she had two other races, campaigns after that in the 80s. When did she sleep? Never. (laughs) No, she slept very little. Um, You know, one of those people who was very driven by her uh, commitment and her energy level of passion and passion towards, you know, fighting for people, social justice and what she wanted she was trying to do was paramount. People need change. No congressional seat belongs to anyone. It belongs only to the people. As your mom was running for offices and that, you know, you as a woman as well, I am sure that you unfortunately maybe overheard or read probably some not so nice things about your mother. Sure, all the time. (laughs) How did that that affect you? And what were those conversations like with your mom if you had those conversations? Oh, sure. We, We had a lot of those. I mean, you have to realize something. 
back then, pre-internet, you know, pre-social uh, media, what the coverage was newspapers, magazines, and network television. She was followed very heavily by the media, by the press. And why? It was because she was so unusual as a candidate, as a woman at that time, being as, you know, out there and as aggressive and as strong and as vocal as she was, you know. Is it not time to admit that the dominant male political leadership style has to be changed? She was unusual. She was very dynamic. So she was covered very heavily. Therefore, when she was covered, the family, us, we were covered with that. And my mother would tell us, you know, be careful what you say when you're being interviewed by any media, because they always tend to exaggerate things, which they do, which they do. All right. And they did. And when my mother was at the zenith of her congressional career, it was all from my college years. See, through that, my entire college and law school, she was either in office or running for office and very, very visibly covered. Right. She said, you say what you want. I mean, she was always, you know, said to all of us, my sister, myself, my dad. But just remember, that is always a factor. And there can be consequences from that. Were there any instances where that came into play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was. It was a New York Magazine article, an extensive one on her. And they were interviewing me. And I was honest. It came out like, you know, I would say badly. What ended up being is that it, they turned it into a real kind of negative about her, a negative characterization. What I was saying was not negative. It was turned into that to get the you know attention of the reader. And she was very upset about it. And she knew it wasn't really, you know, it's not my fault, but she said, this is a perfect example of what I was telling you guys. You have to be very mindful of what you tell the media. Where did you grow up in New York City? I know your mom's from the Bronx, but where did, were you actually raised? Chelsea and then the village. While she was in Congress, we lived in the West Village on Bank Street. In fact, I just a couple of years, two years ago, got the street named after her. It's called the Bella Abzug Way, Congresswoman Bella Abzug Way. Yeah. What did it take to get the street named after your mom? Well, you know, truthfully, you can imagine in my work and in my political life and my work as a consultant and a professor, I have a lot of contacts. You know, I ran for office myself once in 1991. The council member who represents that district is a friend. I mean, I helped him get elected, like many people did as an activist. Yeah, Corey Johnson is now the speaker. Also, you know, my mother was beloved in that community. I had to go through the whole process, but it was not that difficult because we knew it was going to happen. It just had to go through the whole process of it, which any other applicant for a street sign has to go through, you know? You had mentioned that you ran for office in 1991. Yeah. I'm curious why you've never run for office since then. I ran as the first out gay woman to run against the first out gay man. Tom Duane in 1991, which was the height of the AIDS crisis in the village, Chelsea, Clinton was the district, right? And when the council was expanded, it used to be only 35 members. And then they decided to expand it to 50 members, right? And when this was negotiated, the expansion to have more members, the deal was made that one of those seats, so to speak, was going to be a quote, quote, gay seat. Okay. And Tom Duane had been a district leader in this, in that area. I had not been, I was working for governor Cuomo number one for many years. I worked for him for 12 years actually. And I was active as a feminist activist and a 
gay activist, but through, you know, my activism outside of work. It was a very difficult campaign because the gay men were really angry, rightfully so, about not having, you know, treatment. He, meaning Tom, with four weeks left to go, came out and said he was HIV positive at that time. So he was the first guy ever in the country to run as an openly gay, openly HIV positive candidate. They made a big deal of that at the press that, hey, he's gay or HIV positive running. And and so he won that race by not so much, actually, but it really knocked the shit out of me. Here I was, a gay woman, you know, who had many friends who had died. And, and there was an allegation at one point that I outed him about it. I didn't. I mean, I was the last person who knew that he was a, everybody, all my friends who were in the com- gay community, everything. They all knew this. And, you know, it was a kind of really hard campaign. And I was after that four years in debt because I financed my own campaign. There wasn't that much campaign finance back then. And I was really emotionally totally beaten up from it. The experience, right? Several times over the years, so many gay men apologized to me for their horrible behavior. It wasn't until many years later that Tom Dwayne himself apologized to me and said, you know, this was a vicious campaign. I'm so sorry. And I knew, he said, that you did not out me as being HIV positive. I always knew that. I said, well, why didn't you tell your campaign people to stop accusing me of that and also saying that publicly? And he said, well, I couldn't, I couldn't. And he did not apologize to the full degree that I'm telling you until a couple of years ago, like that, like I'm explaining. You know, truthfully, I never wanted to be in the state legislature. I could have run there several times for assembly or state senate in that area. I never wanted to be there because I was working up in Albany. I had an office in Albany and an office in New York when I worked for Cuomo, Mario. I did not like Albany at all. I really didn't like Albany. So I knew I, I couldn't run to, because I wouldn't want to be up there. And the legislature was really doing nothing there. The state legislature was really bad for many, many years. So I said, no, I'm not running for state legislature. The thing I really wanted to run for was Congress. But the person who took my mother's seat, who's still in there, Jerry Nadler, was a friend, is a friend, and is very progressive, is totally cool on, on all the politics I care about. So I hardly was going to, I wasn't going to run against him, no way, no how. So there's been no opportunity, you know. And now I had a business subsequently. I started teaching at Barnard and Columbia as a professor. I had a consulting, very good consulting business. I did a lot of political campaign consulting, you know, as a consultant to some really cool people. And I was doing my feminist activism all over the country anyway. So I figured it's, you know, what the hell? This is fine. This is good. I don't care. I don't have to be in office. When you were running then in 1991, that what advice did your mother give you throughout all of this? She initially was not for me running for that seat. And why that was is because she knew, as I explained to you before, that this was a gay designated seat. And He, meaning Tom, had already been a district leader, out, you know, gay, out, activist, district leader. And so she was concerned. She told me, she said, I don't think you should run for this this seat at this point, at this time. She actually told me, and I think you should run for office, but I don't think this is the right time, the right place. And I'm concerned because of what I, she, you know, we knew. I think that uh, there is a lot of uh, misunderstanding about gay rights. My approach has been... Bella was one of the first members of Congress to support LGBTQ rights. 
1974, she introduced one of the most important pieces of civil rights legislation, the Equality Act. How did you come out to your parents and what was the reception like? First of all, my father never knew. My father died pretty young in 1986. I came out to my mother in the 70s, okay? And he never knew, although he knew. And I'm going to tell you what. But when I told my mother, you know, she's very, one of the biggest leftist progressive radicals you ever did meet, but she was also a Jewish mother, you know, and very much into family and, you know, wanting the best for us in that respect. And um, she handled it very poorly, quite frankly, in the beginning, because I had also had a boyfriend in college who she was pretty close to. He was at worked in all her campaigns. And even though I had my first relationship with a woman, I was in high school. It was all Soto Voce, though. I had had it for four years throughout my high school years with a woman, right? But of yeah. course, I was not out, you know, and it was very intense uh, for both of us, obviously. So when I told my mother I was in going into law school, she knew Michael, the guy that I was, you know, was my boyfriend in college, but also I lived with him after college. And we were almost, in, he was like engaged to be married. And when I told her, she said, well, I don't understand. What is this? You, you've been with Michael these years. You've had boyfriends. I mean, and she really was having a difficult time with it, really hard time with it. And you know, the classic arguments back then were, you can't have family. It's not going to last. These relationships don't last. Gay relationships, blah, 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 blah. And she had every one of those. She's lodging those against me. And I was furious with her, obviously, because I said, how could you, the woman who introduced the first gay rights bill, this I said that back then to her say this to me. What hypocrisy is this? I was really furious at her. And she said, I understand you feel this way and I'm trying to accept it, but I don't think it's a, for the long term, a good decision for you because of all the reasons I just said. And I said, that's bullshit. Look at all the people who are divorced that you know. Also, my sister's gay. My sister came out to her, it must have been a, little, a year or two before me, but not, you know, easily. It was kind of like, it was my mother found out about it kind of thing. So I think my mother was just as a Jewish mother, very flipped out at first. And she had gay friends. She had, you know, her own friends who were gay. And she ended up talking to a lot of them unbeknownst to us. I mean, sort of agonizing over it. And then uh, over time, she learned to accept and certainly even, you know, knew our lovers and knew my current partner uh, very well, as you know, and accepted it, obviously. I had heard uh, just on Twitter, if you will, that there is going to be a statue of your mom in Central Park. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Okay, let me explain something. What is what is that about? No, 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 what is no, no, no. no, no. Let me let, let's back up about one thing. Okay. First of all, you should know on um, these public memorial, there is a a park. I don't know if you you know, and it's yes, quite, I'm aware of the park. Yeah, and that was done just also about two years ago with the Bell Abzug Park in Hudson Yards, right? which is a six, seven mile long park, which is pretty incredible. I mean, it's even going to be longer than that, which happened very quickly because basically the deputy mayor of uh, economic development was a very big admirer of my mother's under um, the deputy mayor under de Blasio. And she really wanted to make a tribute. And she called me up and she said, I can get this done if you want this. And I said, what do you mean you can get it done? She said, well, I have to get Parker Parks Department approval, but this would be amazing, don't you think? And I said, this is ironic as hell to have a park in the biggest 
luxury condo commercial project in the country right now. My mother would be opposing, in the middle of her district, by the way, what was her district, she'd be opposing this project and how ironic this would be to have this park there. And sure enough, you know, it happened. We did it. So the statute thing goes way back. When I formed the Bella Absent Leadership Institute in 205, 204, 205, as a living legacy, if you will, which is what I call it to my mother, you know, that trains young girls and women in politics and in civic, political, community empowerment. The people I put together for the board of directors of Bali, you know, there were a lot of my mother's friends and they said, well, we need to have a statue too. And I said, listen, I can't do this all. I am going to put my efforts into creating this organization, not for profit, and if you want to do a statute, which I support and would love to see, you guys raise the money for it because it's expensive, you know? So what ended up happening is that sort of died down because they couldn't put it together. There was nobody taking the real lead on that. And I just put all the energy into Bali, right? Nevertheless, this came back into the public uh, sphere, the notion of a statue for Bella. And by the way, we wanted to put that statue in Washington Square Park. Because that's where my parents lived. That's where we lived. And they loved, they actually hung out in the park a lot when they lived at Fifth Avenue and A Street. So the bottom line is this came back again when the whole discussion of not enough women's monuments anywhere in the city of New York, people started talking again about let's do a Bella statute. And so the point is it's discussed and it's been out there, but there's no real effort yet that's on the boards for it. You know what I mean? Okay. Yes. So may, maybe in the future, but who yeah. knows? You know, yeah, it's just, exactly. It's there. Yeah. But you know, the funny thing, Jordan, is my grandfather, her father owned a butcher shop at 39th and 9th. And this park is like 39th, 37th, 38th, 39th, and like 12th, 11th, right? And it was called the, the Live and Let Live Meat Market. I kept telling people, you know, the irony is, is that where the park is was smack dab in the middle of her congressional district, number one. And number two, my grandfather's butcher shop was right there, basically parallel to where this park is. It was a campaign slogan, correct? The the slogan that everyone seems to uh, attach themselves to. Yeah, a woman's place is in the house, the House of Representatives. What is the backstory behind that? She had some really smart people uh, working with her in all the campaigns, you know, working for her. And so they were sitting around thinking about what slogan could be really tight, but also really be so relevant at at the time and also show, you know, movement and power. And so they came up with that because it addressed the fact that, you know, women were supposed to be seen and to be in the house. Right. And the night of the election that my mother, the first win, the first, you know, that she won the first election, we were all in the, you know, victory celebration. And. My sister gets up. This is what she says. Thank God we got her out of our house into their house. (laughs) So it really worked. And look, God, 40 years later, you know, how it was taken on into other, this woman's place in the White House, you know, just built upon. I'm also curious, too, about your mom's hats and what happened to her hats and if you have any of them. She was a lawyer. She graduated in 1944, right? At Columbia Law. There were four women in her class. That's it, right? So when she first started going out on cases as a young lawyer, she would go to a firm and she'd say, hi, my name is Bella Abzug. I'm here from Kramer, so-and-so and so-and-so. And she'd tell the receptionist and they'd say, okay, 
fine, sit down. We'll be with you in shortly. And, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, she's sitting there, 20 minutes, finally, she'd go back up and say, hi, my name is Bell Abs, as I said, I'm from the law firm, so-and-so and so-and-so. The reception said, I know you already said that, but we're waiting for the lawyer. Said to my mother. And my mother said, what do you mean? I am the lawyer. And the thing is, my father, when she they had married when my mother was in her second year of law school, she went home and said to my father, look at this shit. This is what happened to me today. And he said, listen to me, Bella. The one thing you should do is professional women wear gloves and hats. So he says, why don't you do that? Why don't you wear a hat? Because, you know, then they're going to know you're someone important. Turns out she then liked the way she looked in hats. She looked really cool in hats. So first she did it for to make a statement, and then she realized she really liked wearing them. So as she used to say, I kept the hat on in subsequent years, but I then took off the gloves. That was Liz Abzug talking about her mother, Bella, a political legend. I'm Jordan Gosporé, and you've been listening to Local Switchboard NYC. Our team is host, me, Jordan Gosporé, and reporters Sarah Montague, Betsy Lakin, Heather Chin. You're part of our neighborhood now. So if there's a local story you think is important, let us know at localswitchboardnyc at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.